Yep. Okay. So we're talking about the organization of the first part. So can we? How do you think of it as organized, right? Because when we're talking about writing, we're talking about narrative, and we're talking about organizing a narrative, right? So the first part is a part which is supposed to be a narrative in itself. Yeah, and it's talking about Lilliput, the Flescue, and uh, then it's talking about the habits and the customs of people over here, right? Yeah, so we're talking about also the other travel writings to Surat, etc., right? Which people are talking about Surat, which was one of the first colonies of, uh, not colonies, settlements of the English uh, in India, uh, in the Indian subcontinent, right? So uh, that's why uh, a kind of uh, uh, going to Surat is also uh, talked about. Yeah, uh, do I have a question there? Yeah, and what is it? Yeah, there are a few introductory lines given for each chapter uh, which are not by Gulliver, right? Ha, huh. uh, is it not by Gulliver? Yeah, it's almost like a title, no? Yeah, that's a very good point and thanks for getting it up, right? Yeah, because when we're looking at the text, right, you find, uh, and this is why it's important to have, have people write, uh, talking to you and it's not just lecturing, yeah? So we just look at that and uh, that's one of the ways of studying the text, right? The author gives some account of himself and family, his first inducements to travel, he is shipwrecked and swims for his life, gets safe on shore in the country of Lilliput. It is made a prisoner and carried up the country. Right? Now that's uh, what is this about? Yeah? Yeah, it's it's saying that the author gives an account of himself. Right? Uh, and uh, it's the publisher probably. Uh, no, it's also a style of writing. Yeah, and that's why I asked you about this, right? It's telling you or giving you a summary about what the uh, the part or the chapter is about, right? Yeah, and that's, this is early writing, yeah? Where you're giving a summary, as I give you a summary of the lecture, after the lecture, I write the summary. Yeah, so that's important. It's as important as the letter from the author to the reader. Do you get that? Yeah? Which we have already de dealt with, the publisher to the reader, right? And it's talking about Gulliver as uh, Richard Simpson, who is probably a fictional character, right? Yeah? Uh, and it says, uh, perhaps an allusion to Richard Simpson, publisher of several works by Sir William uh, Temple, Swift's patron, or uh, to William Simpson, pseudonyms author of the largely plagiarized A Voyage to the East Indies, 1750, right? Yeah, so it's uh, pretending, yeah, and this is a style of writing which is not quite fiction writing, yeah, but there was no model that Swift has, could follow, right? The models he's following is the models of travel writing, right? And the model of travel writing is a different model to fiction writing per se, right? So he's using the, tra the 
the kind of travel writing discourse. That's one, right? And it'll give you something in short that is a uh, that is something that you have in your prose if you read Bacon's essays, etc. Right? They're very short prose pieces, but it gives you a gist of what is happening in the chapter, right? Now that's important as far as communications is concerned, right? That's important as far as uh, uh, prose writing is concerned because when we write, we must know what we are talking about, right? And when we write an argument uh, or we write any kind of expository prose which you already know about, right? We are exposing people to a new idea and do anything that we are doing, we have to have a little introduction, right? Yeah? And it's supposed to tell you what's going to happen in this chapter. That is so that the reader doesn't lose interest. That's the purpose of it. The second thing is the, uh, the reader can check, well, this is what they said. And then, is this really what happens, right? And they said that they would say this, but they've not said this, right? But they've said other things. Is the focus maintained or not, right? So that we can check, but we are talking at a late time of writing, yeah? So that's one of the, uh, the things that give, is given to you, right? And the question of the author giving an account of himself, which is also strengthened by the publisher's letter to the reader, right? Yeah, or the okay, what would normally be an introduction, right? And to himself and his family and his first inducements to travel, he is shipwrecked and all that kind of thing, right? And he gets safer to the shore and he gets to the country of Lilliput, right? So that's one. And that's how the narrative begins. It's not a narrative which begins, okay? So you have chapter two, right? Which is talking about the emperor of Lilliput, right? So this is talking from the idea of uh, uh, travel writing and the idea of description, right? You might remember your uh, second year classes. Some of you might have been there, some of you might not have been there, but the idea is how does de description work, right? Do you have description in a narrative, right? Okay, and the question is, we are having we have a narrative over here where portions of it are very descriptive, right? Yeah, so that is important and a style of prose writing, and uh, this is prose, of course, right? And we are talking about the emperor, and it's giving you a count, right? So it's actually a kind of what we would call uh, a count of what uh, what do you call that? Uh, you call it a summary of the procedures that we had in a meeting, okay? Something like that, right? Yeah, so you give an account and you give a description and you're trying to be faithful to your description, right? So that's the second chapter which says, the emperor of Lilliput, so one is what has happened to me, that's the first part, how did I land here, what was my motivation, all those things come in chapter one, okay? And the second chapter is saying, the emperor of Lilliput, attended by several of the nobility, comes to see the author in his confinement, right? Now this third person kind of style, and it's very good that you pointed it out, because comes to see the author. It doesn't say comes to see me, or comes to see Gulliver, right? It's saying the author, right? As if it's talking about objectivity, and that's why it's written over there, 
not that it's not written by him, right? But it's written to show objectivity, right? And written for the reader because the reader is important and we must re remember historically there were very few readers at that point of time the publication was around, right? Yeah. Uh, at this point of time you have uh, Addison Steele who have a spectator and of course Swift fights with them etc etc right but these are people who publish their works and what they do with their publication is they have only about 200 people uh, they only print about 200 copies right so 200 people would be reading them which you might multiply by 10 uh, because the idea of borrowing a newspaper is something that was a custom, right? Which you still still see in lots of parts of India. I don't know if you have that here in Baroda. I've not seen it there, but uh, in the in the town I come from, uh, oh, it was a town. It's becoming a city, right? There are a lot of these places where you have people who have a pigeonhole with a lot of papers, right? Maybe you have that. Maybe in the whole city you can get that, right? Yeah, where people go and sit down, right, and read a paper and put it back in the slot and somebody has this kind of free service, you see that people get access to news, right? So that's the understanding over here and the very few people who read, that's why uh, uh, you have, and this is an early stage of writing, right? Otherwise, uh, and it's using this typical style of giving uh, a report, right? a report or an account and that's the style that uh, goes on for most of the narrative right yeah and it's interesting that when we talk about fiction we're talking about all these styles which should actually be in prose right and uh, uh, yeah we go back to this uh, text which is called Don Quixote where you have a lot of sonnets in it right yeah you have a lot of sonnets you have a lot of letters right and th that's the kind of style when you come to the 20th century, you'll have uh, something like uh, Wuthering Heights, right, by Emily Bronte, right, which is interesting because the narrative style is tremendously uh, altered, right, in spite of the novel being, I wouldn't say new, but it was quite advanced at that point of time, right, uh, but what is interesting about that is when you have Lockwood, right? And you get Lockwood beginning the story and Lockwood going to Wuthering Heights, right? And this whole idea of uh, a birch, he's not able to go back with the rain and all those kind of things and he knocks at the window and the birch still makes a noise. He can't open the window and he bangs the glass open and uh, then the hand catches hold of him and that's that's the, the suspense that you have because the whole idea of the ghost and all those things come up, right? Yeah. So that's that's how the story begins, and then you have uh, Nelly Dean telling a story, right? So another person is telling a story, and uh, you have letters from Nelly Dean to this man, and to Catherine, and to all these other people. So you have a lot of letters going around the place. So you get this epistolary mode into a kind of a narrative mode, and. The, the, the letters are also telling a story, so there are a lot of parallel kinds of narratives going on, right? Yeah, and it, it becomes a very complicated narrative structure, which is not linear in any way, right? If you actually draw it on a map, you'll get all sorts of lines going all sorts of places, right? So that's something else that we have to observe when we talk about the study of fiction, right? So do you get 
one kind of linear narrative, right? He's actually attempting to do that, right? And when you come to the end of the voyage to Lilliput, you actually get all these kinds of arrows going off in dis different directions because Blefescu and Lilliput and all that kind of thing, even if you try to chalk his journey out on a map, right? It'll be full of going here and there and going here and there and the end of it becomes something else, right? Yeah, but so at one level, you get this report kind of thing and the report is after you've actually experienced something which is different from your prose narrative which is a diary, right? A diary is again after you experience something you come back and sit down and write your diary at the end of the day, right? We've already done Peep's diaries and you see that that's what you call an autobiographical mode. This is also an autobiographical mode and it's also what you call uh, the autobiography is a narrative mode, right? So it uses the idea of this style of uh, letter writing that uses it. This is doing it by the style of report writing, right? And it's a report which is not immediately there. It's a report which is a memory, right? So after I go off and after I finish my voyage, I'm writing this down. You get that, right? So that's important and you need to divide things into chapters and you need to give uh, a kind of an introduction which is uh, over here in uh, italics, right? Yeah, I don't know how the original would be, right? Uh, the Emperor of Lilliput, attended by several of the nobility, comes to see the author in his confinement. The Emperor's uh, person and habit described uh, learned men appointed to teach the author their language. He gains favor but a mild disposition, his pockets are searched and his sword and his pistols taken from him, right? Now it tells you what's going to happen in the chapter and that's why you have this kind of uh, writing and it's also telling you that this is in sequence, right? Because when we talk about a narrative, we're talking about a narrative differs from a description because a description has one scene which is given to you. Right? A narrative is talking about how events are linked up together. Right? And now you have different events which are li li uh, linked up together, but each one of them is described. Right? The event is described in great detail yeah, because he wants to establish certain things. And later in the narrative, he says, I don't need to describe that to you and we don't get into all that. Yeah? And we go on. Right? That's one. Okay? Then you have the author diverts the emperor and his nobility of both sexes in a very uncommon manner. The division of the court of Lilliput described, the author had his liberty granted him upon certain conditions. Right? Now it's talking about the state and it's talking about uh, the idea of uh, liberty and on what conditions or uh, what kind of freedoms would be given to the author after they're quite sure that he might not be dangerous, right? So the idea is how he's a giant, etc., etc., and they're, they're talking about how people dance on his hand, etc., right? So you're talking about the big Indians and the little Indians and all that kind of thing, right? So that's something else that he's talking about, and he's talking about what are the provisions, and this is talking about the legality, right? So you're talking about legality, how does legality operate and what happens with that? 
yeah so uh, yeah that's uh, yeah, which is the next one Red, yeah. Where is chapter four? No, chapter five, right? Where is three? Yeah, this is three. What happened to four? And I find chapter four. Oh, yeah, chapter four. Uh, Mildendo, the metropolis of Lilliput, described together with the Empress Palace. A conversation between the author and the principal secretary concerning the affairs of the empire. The author offers to serve the emperor in his voice. Right? Yeah. So when you look at it at the end, uh, the author is trying to make himself available, right? And all those kind of things. But it's also telling you that it's getting into political discourse, right? It's getting into this idea of trying to survive in an alien culture, right? And it's talking about the politics over here, right? And it's talking about the palace, right? Now, at one level, he used to take a lot of pain to describe how the little people are, right? You find that description all through. And here he's going on talking about the power of the state, the time, right? He's already talked about the language, right? And he's talking about how does he get socialized into this kind of a situation which is different and this kind of people were different, right? The fifth chapter says, the author by an extraordinary stratagem prevents an invasion. A high title of honor is conferred upon him. Ambassadors arrive from the emperor of Blefescu and sue for peace. The empress's apartment on fire by an accident. The author's instrument till in saving the rest of the palace. Right? Yeah. Now, this is again giving you a short account of what's going to happen. Right? And by and large, the chapters are very small, but this is to recall what happens. Right? It's as if this man has taken notes, right? Or somebody after writing it takes notes down and puts it forward. Right? So you're giving a summary of what's happening in your chapter. Right? Uh, yeah. So do you get that? And uh, do we have the same kind? Uh, so is it somebody else who's written it, right? I don't think so, right? This is the style of writing, which is called report writing, right? And uh, uh, this is put there so that you think that, well, this is the writer and he's writing and he's giving you account and he's leading you through what happens, right? Of the inhabitants and the idea, of course, is to say, I want to check only on this, right? I don't want to check all this. This is how official documents are kept. Right? So you look for the document which is titled uh, meeting of this date on this topic. Right? And then you go and find it. Right? So that's uh, a very, very official style of writing. And that shows uh, because Swift is in this kind of official position as a churchman and gets this position as dean, etc. Right? Of the inhabitants of Lilliput, their learning, laws and customs, uh, the manner of education, their children, the author's way of living in that country, his vindication of a great lady. Right? Now, it's talking about how the Lilliput uh, is actually describing the sociology of these people called the Lilliputans. Right? What happens to the educational system? What happens to the learning? All those kind of things. Right? I think uh, some of you 
might have been in my foundation class last year, right? And we actually did this experiment. Uh, was it the year before? I, don't, I think, yeah, last year also, right? We asked them to write an account of uh, the faculty of arts, right? That's all that was given, right? And everybody was free to write whatever they wanted. So you had different people writing about different things. Some people described the building in detail, right? Some people described the plants in detail, right? Yeah, some people describe the plants and the building in detail, and that's the arts faculty with them, right? And one of the people were very interesting. He talked about what kind of students register, what are the kind of teachers that register, right? Now you can do all these kind of things in a description, right? And you're writing about the same uh, place called Lilliput, or you're talking about the arts faculty, right? You can write a narrative about the arts faculty from one dean to the other or one department to the other and one dean to the other and all the kinds of things that happen, right? So that would be a narrative, right? Yeah, but uh, you also, and each of the chapters would be a description, right? Maybe a description and a narration together, right? And that's exactly what uh, Swift is doing over here, right? And he's giving you a summary of what happens. That is, he's talking about them and he's talking about himself, right? And he's not making it this is just a description of the Lilliputans, right? Yeah, the learning, the laws and the customs, etc. Right? And he's saying the author's kind of position uh, that is important. The author's way of living in that country, his vindication of a great leader, right? Yeah? And then he's saying, well, uh, this is something that happens. And the personal element is, this is a report about the laws and all that kind of thing. And he says, how did the author manage to live? in this kind of a environment, right? And he's talking about the vindication of a lady and that becomes a kind of a, another story which he's talking about, right? Then you have the author being informed to a, to a design to accuse him of high treason, makes his escape to Blefescu, his reception there, right? Now he's talking about the design and uh, that's something that uh, is important, right? Because yeah, uh, the the design, uh, and that's the plot that he has, and that's why he tries to run away, right? And there is a person who uh, uh, gives out the plot, right? Yeah, and uh, he actually has all these articles, right? It's as if he gets out some legal documents, which is saying Article One, Article Two, Article Three, yeah. The whole idea of high treason and all that kind of thing, yeah, all these kind of things, uh, the pissing incident and how it's linked up with high treason, right? And this is the official kind of government document or government documents which are listed as articles and minuted very carefully, right? And that's what you have with English, as Napoleon calls them, uh, a nation of shopkeepers. They document and minute things very carefully. And uh, yeah, and they see that all these things are preserved, right? So you can find old records, and that's why uh, if you are trying to study English in England, right, uh, it'll be very interesting because as an English student, you don't have to sit in an English department. You have to go and visit the archives. You have to go and collect material about what happens in other in the area you are studying, right? Like for instance, 
I had a friend who was working on women and madness in the 19th century, 18th century, yeah, and uh, uh, Professor Uday Kumar, who is now the head of JNU, uh, actually told him, if I was here, I would not let you do this project because you can't do this project unless you go to all the mental hospitals and check the details of the language that was used and the kind of treatment that was used for women at this point of time, right? Yeah, so you might be studying literature and I go back to the person who said, are we doing the text? Are we not doing the text? Yeah, uh, that's very important and that was a very important and a very directive kind of question because what is the text without the context, right? Yeah, so you have to study the context and you have to go back to a past and go and actually study the records so that you can know what's going to happen, uh, what is going on over there, right? Now this is when you have article 1, article 2, article 3, article 4, yeah, and the, the article 4 goes on and on and on, right? Yeah, so that, that's right at the end of the chapter, right? So what happens with these articles is they begin, okay, uh, so the idea is these articles are kept to doc as documents, right? Yeah, and these articles are important because when we're talking about these articles, it's actually talking about the kind of preoccupation in the mind of the author uh, or the poet, poet, the author persona. It's a persona or the face of Gulliver. It's not the real person at all, right? Yeah, which it, and it's actually talking about this uh, this question of the law, right? That's where your satire comes in, right? And that's where uh, it actually is saying that well, uh, these are the laws and the laws and the, the, uh, it's talking about people all over the world who leak out information, right? And maybe with good intent, maybe with bad intent, maybe as a ploy to get rid of somebody. Yeah, that's what people do also, right? If you want somebody out of a place, uh, you tell them, well, they're thinking of killing you, right? Uh, and that's what they do, right? So maybe they've got their own politics, Right? And that's what Swift gets up over here. Maybe they've got their own politics which they want to use so that uh, Swift gets out and they might be able to push up the ladder or whatever it is. Right? Yeah. And of course Swift is not kind at all to them when he's describing uh, the jumping under the rope and jumping over the rope and jumping, uh, bending down and all those kind of things. Uh, he's actually uh, very critical and that's where this... Uh, uh, the uh, idea of uh, 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 having a satire on society comes in. Yeah? The author by, by lucky accident finds means to leave Blefescu and after some difficulties returns safe to his na uh, native country. Right? Now what happens is uh, in the plot right, the author till the uh, which is this one, till the seventh, sixth chapter Right? Doesn't really have a lot of problems. Right? Yeah? It's only after the sixth chapter, the fifth and sixth chapter, right? Uh, when you have this idea of uh, this woman uh, who is supposed to be, uh, he's supposed to be having a sexual affair with and all that kind of thing, which is absolute rubbish, right? Yeah? Is something that comes uh, ahead, right? And uh, now he's trying to leave the place and go away. Right? Because and the, the reason for it is with all these kinds of uh, the leak that has happened 
from the highest of ministries in the, the kingdom or the empire of Lilliput, right? So that's where it becomes important. And from this idea of narrative theory, that's the conflictual point. He has got two or three options. Like some of you said, uh, I don't remember who said it, right? But why doesn't he just squash these people up, right? Now that's an option that he has, right? If he chooses the option of squashing all of them up or burning all of them or getting all of them destroyed, right? That will be a different narrative, right? If he chooses to stay there and dialogue with them, okay, in spite of all odds and uh, expose the, the corruption around, which might be to his detriment and there might be a big fight and then of course he might have to exterminate all of them in self-defense, right? That's another kind of possibility, right? And the third possibility, and of course maybe, maybe there are more possibilities, yeah, is the one that he's, he's using where he tries to find a way out. Okay, the fourth possibility is he can go and shift to Blefescu and actually uh, use whatever he knows of the internal politics of Lilliput to the Blefescuans, right, and come and fight for them against this, right? So that's another possibility, but that is what he doesn't choose, right? So what he's doing is he's trying to take us on and talking about how he escapes, right? Because he's not really here for politics. He's a traveler and he's telling you a traveler's tale, right? And he's saying, well, this is the negotiation that a traveler has to face, right? So in his traveler's tale, it's talking about the wonder that you experience as a traveler, uh, especially about people who are so different uh, from you, little people, very different little people, right? And he's talking about them as if they're miniature kinds of structures. The, the, it's all like looking at a miniature world, right? And looking at them uh, from an angle of a huge Greek person, right? A huge giant looking down at a miniature world, yeah? So, and of course, he takes a lot of trouble to get into all these kind of very intricate politics. He's talking uh, talking about the culture and the language, right, also, right? And he's talking about the food, and he's talking about the idea of economy and the idea of excess, right, which these people seem to have. And he becomes a bone of contention because of the excess, right? And people are thinking of poisoning him, people are thinking of getting rid of him in many ways because he's too expensive for the country to actually uh, think of and uh, do anything with, right? So that's uh, as important as it is, right? So uh, that's how, and uh, thank you for getting this up, right? So, uh, so you have eight chapters, right? And uh, the last begins with the author by lucky accident finds means to leave Lefescu and after some difficulties returns safe to his native country, right? So you have this kind of full circle where you begin over here and you go out and you land up over there by mistake and you get into that and you give a narrative about all that, right? And you get into the politics, you get into the workings, you get into the culture, right? And uh, there's no question of you getting back or you don't think of getting back and if you get back you need a ship or, or you need a boat and you need to get out, right? And after going through motions, then he gives a reason for uh, 
this kind of a uh, plot to get rid of him, right? Which is a real problem in as much as economically he is unviable, right? And it's impossible to look after him because you need 200 people to stitch shirts and bed sheets for him. You need huge tables, uh, which is made out of the wood that they have, and huge chairs, and all those things are an excess for him, right? So the idea of the giant and excess is a very, very important point which he's trying to make at this point of time. And the question is, getting back to his country is important, right? Because uh, though the accusations are made against him, right, he can't have uh, any kind of real relationship with the people because of their size, right? He holds them in his hand and um, they have their dances on him, they have the horses on him, all those kind of things, right? So this is a whole idea of size and he can't find his kind of size of people. That's the philosophical intent over here, right? So I cannot find people of my own stature, right? These are all midgets, right? And I might like them because they're midgets, right? And that's something that is said in the second part of the book, right? So you, you have people get frightened of small people, right? Or small animals, right? Like a lot of us, like me, for instance, I'm very frightened of rats, right? Uh, so people might be frightened of cockroaches. Some people are frightened about bugs. Some people are frightened about wasps, right? Uh, spiders, right? So uh, all those kind of things. But he's talking about all those reactions later, right? Now he's talking about, in this first part, he's talking about a whole population of small people, right? And they can be vicious. Yeah, you want to say something? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. What is the question? Yeah, uh, it is probably because those bland objective introductory lines sort of legitimize the very uh, improbable things that the chapter actually talks about, right? Uh, yes, uh, in a sense, yeah, the legitimizing comes actually in the first chapter, right? Where you actually have to create this kind of a world which is believable. Actually, it begins with the letter of the publisher, right? So to say, Gulliver is actually a person who everybody trusts. And what he's saying is absolutely the truth, right? Yeah, uh, I have to unmute myself. I don't know. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, because somebody said I have to unmute myself, right? Yeah. No, no, I, we were talking about there was a new question at board, so there was a new question at the board, and also saying Mr. Vijay is calling. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I missed out all those questions maybe because uh, sometimes uh, I have to open the thing and see it, right? Yeah, so I'll take them one at a time, yeah? So your question is uh, the whole idea of bland introductory lines, right? So what is the purpose of writing those introductory lines? We are talking about reader's comfort, okay? <clears throat> Which is something that every author has to think about, right? We are not writing academic pieces and even there we have to keep in mind the reader okay uh, everybody is not Spivak or Kristeva or any of these feminists who write very difficult kind of stuff uh, postmodern 
uh, no, not postmodern, post-structuralist, feminist, Marxist, all those kind of things together. People like Spivak write very difficult uh, stuff. And unless you know a lot of philosophy and you know where she's coming in from linguistics, philosophy, social, political theory and all, you can't get, right? Yeah? So even then, you have to have a structure to your work and that's why we have an introduction so to tell the reader where we are going. Yeah? So uh, I hope that is okay, right? Then, uh, yeah, uh, you. I think this being a satire, people have to get into the details to understand it. Uh, yes and no. Yeah? Because uh, the satire actually works with the big and the small. Right? So it's talking about, uh, these are little people, I can't mix with them. Right? I can appreciate them. I can uh, be kind to them. Yeah? And that was the question that we had last time. Why does he squash them up? These are little people. Right? And the idea of gentleness, that's a very important idea which is played out. Right? In dealing with people, you can't squash people up, either verbally or otherwise, right? Today, of course, in India, everybody is trying to be, trying to silence everybody else and one is trying to shout louder than the other, right? Yeah? And I think that was very, very important and that's where the satire is, the whole idea of the big and the small, right? Yeah, and of course, after Freud, there's a sexual kind of innuendo over there because you're talking about a big thing and a small thing and we know what we have in our own country whose statue is bigger, right? Is the statue of unity bigger or the statue of liberty bigger, right? And you have a lot of comics in that and that is where you get your satire, right? You must, uh, yeah, so, so that's where you get your satire because you have the statue of liberty. I think that's a comic. I don't know who's got it, which is very interesting. The Statue of Liberty says, uh, we have, uh, in spite of being the Statue of Liberty, we actually have more unity because I'm the Statue of Liberty. And the Statue of Unity says, well, I've got unity, but uh, I don't have unity, but I've got liberty. And the, the contradictions between the two, right? Yeah, so we're talking about statue politics and the idea of whose statue is bigger and whose statue is smaller and sizes matter, right? Yeah, so they actually take talking about size, the big and the small, right? So you have a giant, right? You might think of a, a giant statue also, and that's the way literature works, right? Yeah, so you have giant statues, and you have small people, and the idea of the giant statue overpowering people, and being there even after the person is gone, right? You have Shelley's uh, Ozymandias, which works like that, right? Yeah, so the question is, how does a statue work, right? How does the giant statue work, right? Is the giant statue showing the power of the state, right? And that's what it's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to show the power of the state and the fact that I can build a giant statue means I'm so rich, right? It's actually come from a deep sense of inferiority, right? Not the Statue of Liberty because there was no America at that point of time. It's some people who donated and got that done, right? But it's talking about our Statue of Unity, which is, or even our uh, nuclear blast, which is saying, we are equal, we can have a nuclear war, right? Yeah, so that's a big kind of statement that we're making, and that's important, right? But in uh, political theory, we're talking about how do you treat a small person, right? Do you treat them and squash them up? Yeah. And would a giant want to do that? Because the giant can do that, right? But the giant 
doesn't choose to do that because the giant has another set of values, right? And the giant set of values is how do I deal with them and I'm trying to deal with them in spite of my height and in spite of my physical power and in spite of whatever I can do to them, in spite of that, I'm trying to be gentle to them, yeah? Something that maybe uh, is not important in India, right? Because this idea of domination is uh, uh, important, right? Yeah? Uh, yeah, so that's another one, right? So the idea is when you're talking about the satire, does somebody who's so powerful, right, actually squash up little people, right? That's happening in India, right? We have the CA protesters, we have all these people and all the false cases that are filed against journalists and all those kind of things. These are happening on a day-to-day -day basis, right? It actually shows a very weak government, right? A very weak leader who's trying to do all these strong arm tactics, right? Who is the one who does all that? Somebody who doesn't have power, right? Yeah, so when you analyze it, there's a lot of contradiction between the show of force and actual power, right? So, uh, is he trying to say something to the English? Perhaps he is, right? Perhaps he is, okay? Because we talk about English history, we talk about somebody like Richard II, right? Who's a boy king, right? And he actually goes out and meets uh, all the laborers, uh, and that's in 1381, they have a 1381 revolution and all those kind of things. Not revolution, it's just a revolt of the people who are uh, fighting, right? So, do I use strong arm tactics with them? Do I get police out to shoot them like it's being done in uh, the United States, right? Against all the protesters after George Floyd's death, right? That That is a weak state, right? A state when it has to use artillery against its own people, right? that shows the lack of uh, strength, right? Yeah, so the idea is how gently does the state deal with you? Or is it a state which is this uh, uh, a, 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 a pretentiously strong state which is trying to curb the freedoms of people, squash people up, right? Don't let people talk, right? Now, he has the option of doing that and that's why I showed you the narrative options, right? In narrative theory, it's called a node, right? I can, this, uh, the narrative can go one, two, three, four, maybe ten different ways, right? And the question is, uh, the author chooses it, only one way is possible, right? You, okay, in postmodern narratives, you'll have, uh, yeah, what is this, uh, Ketan Mehta, has anybody heard of Ketan Mehta, right? Uh, Bhavani Bhavai, right? That's a, a very, very important movie, right, that he has where he has two endings, right? Because you once you have a narrative, you can't go back to the earlier part, right? So once he says that this is what has happened, right? Now the question is, what is his choice? Does his choice, actually with the context, right? Does his choice, is his choice to be staying in this place, resolving all the differences and making it happy, right? That would be some missionary zeal that he's showing, right? Yeah. And he's actually in a position of power to do that, right? Yeah. So it's a critique about how do you how do you actually travel, right? And if you're a traveler, would you actually go and set this in order, right? Because this is a he's talking not about a world which is disorder. He's talking about a world which has order, right? When the Europeans come to India, 
they've already got a preconceived notion from uh, Ovid in the Metamorphoses, okay, chaos is in the East, right? So when they come to India, this is a chaotic kind of a world, right? Because they don't understand it, right? And of course, it is chaotic. And for anybody who comes in, you have class, and even today, you've got class, you've got caste, you've got all this kind of intricacies, you've got a bureaucracy, okay? And all this, it's very difficult for uh, people from, the, uh, from Europe and from the United States to come in because it's a different culture, right? And the complexity of the culture can be gained only after you actually live in it and get involved, right? Now, the question is, when you, he doesn't squash them up, it's a question of saying, well, that's your culture, that's your politics, I want to stay away from it, right? Of course, I have an option of squashing it up and destroying everybody, but I'm not destructive, right? Yeah, uh, that's what the British do in India also, right? They don't fiddle with a lot of systems, right? Yeah, they actually, they might have promoted this Hindu-Muslim division, right, which they've done with the, uh, with the, what's this guy's name? Uh, his name, the, the wonderful judge and linguist, I'll get his name, right? Yeah, so when you, uh, you put the Maulana and the Pandit in the court, that's one way of uh, fiddling with the system, right? Actually, they put in a system, they bring in a system, right? And that's when they become, uh, that's what you call uh, in post-colonial theory, you'll talk about that as this kind of missionary zeal, right? Or this thing of saying that we are organized, we are superior, we are modern, these people are not organized, right? Swift is not doing that over here, right? He's talking about the order of their civilization. He's talking about the good things he has, the difference of it, right? And he's talking about them with respect, right? Yeah, so you can look at what's happening in the idea of colonizing of India and you can look at how this text is actually talking about another culture with respect, right? Yeah, of course the British were not as kind to the Africans and many other places which they colonized, right? They thought somehow uh, the culture of India was superior and they had all these things which is also a problematic kind of position because you say that the culture is superior and then you still uh, try to rule them and you try to do all those kind of things, right? So all those things are very prob uh, problematic areas and you can look at uh, post-colonial theory to see how you elevate a culture or you diminish it, right? To talk about, to rule it, right? Yeah, so these are strategies or you have accounts of saying that the Indian women are promiscuous, right? Yeah, of course, they have a whole uh, course called the Pelman course, right? Pelmanism, that's every British officer had to take that course and pass it, right? Because when you came to India, all, all the women were topless, right? And they come from a country where you have to clothe yourself all the time because it's so hot and India is uh, so cold and India is a hot climate, right? Yeah. So, and of course, uh, with uh, Christian values and Puritan values and the idea of the respect of the body and all this kind of complicated things that happen, right? Uh, they want people to be very self-controlled, right? Which changes the Englishman, right? So the idea is, how does travel change? How does another culture change, right? Yeah, and what do you learn from that? That's what Swift is doing over here, right? Maybe it looks too academic, Maybe it looks too distant, right? But the idea of the narrative is to say, 
I've got into that culture, what we call in sociology and anthropology, a participant narrator, right? Of course, he's not really a participant uh, because of his size, right? Yeah, so you have people like Ferrier, Elvin, and many other uh, anthropologists and sociologists which actually go and live in tribal communities and become a part of the culture. Felvin, uh, Elvin, Ferrier Elvin actually gets married, right? And of course today people are saying, well, that's exploitative, right? And then the other side is, how would you come to know or how would you document a culture unless you get into it, right? So he gets actually married, he has children and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, and he documents what's happening in the culture, right? So from an anthropological and a sociological point of view, when we look at this, we actually look at how do you look at somebody else's culture and uh, that's extremely important, right? So uh, uh, I hope I've answered your question. Or oh, uh, right, the ties this ties into another question that is, who is Swift writing for? What is his intended audience? Is he writing only for political satire or to make money as well? Yeah, I don't think he's writing to make money, right? I think he gets quite a uh, lot of money from his position as Dean, right? Yeah, and the question is a very interesting question. Yeah, thank you for it. Yeah. Uh, who is Swift writing for? Right? He's probably writing for only the elite. Right? Yeah, like when Tehelka was a new paper, right? Uh, I've written an article in the initial paper on the Sambhajis, the first edition of it, right? On the Sambhaji Brigade because they had in invaded Bandarkar Oriental Research Institute and demolished a lot of things, right? And uh, what was interesting is somebody told me, well, it's read, is read by very influential people and that's in Delhi, right? How many people read Telka? That's the question, right? Yeah, and that's why I brought up this Addison and Steel business. They had about 200 uh, copies of their paper, right? So who is Swift writing for? Is he writing for posterity? I don't know, right? Yeah, and the, the question is interesting, right? Because the idea is you're talking for an imagined audience, right? Okay, uh, did Swift imagine that it would be read by Indians, right? And we would read it from a post-colonial position, right? Now that's a question that uh, is not easy to answer, right? But a question which uh, is, uh, generating a lot of thought, right? Yeah, so uh, that's something else which we need to think about, right? So, uh, who does an author write for? The larger question is, who does an author write for? Or what is the imagined community an author writes for, right? Uh, yeah, so I might imagine something and that might change, right? Because politics changes, yeah? People change, the way I imagine the world changes and the way I, as an author, write for the intended audience, that might change, right? And that's exactly what seems to have happened, right? Perhaps he's writing only about his own kind of issues with the government of England, right? And he's not really writing, uh, so maybe his uh, intended audience is the people who read, which is a minority, right? And the minority might also like to think, and he's actually asking them, to think about governance, right? Which is an important thing today, right? How do you govern people, okay? And uh, it's not 
so I would think his audience is an English audience, right? And I don't know if he's thinking about an Irish audience because though he is between Indian, uh, England and Ireland, yeah, he's talking about how do you live in between all these places, right? How do you live in between two cultures, two countries, okay? And that, of course, is uh, uh, perhaps already uh, a kind of prophecy about what is called postmodernism, right? Where people live for three days in India, three days in Japan, three days in Germany, and that's the kind of job that they have, right? Yeah, so that's, and it's not easy to do, right? Yeah, I, I met a person here uh, who happened to be uh, uh, the, uh, the partner of a person who taught in the German department, right? And uh, when I met him, I asked him, uh, are you located in Germany? He said, well, I stay in uh, Germany for some time, India and some, for some time because my family is here and I've got a little work here and I also go to Japan, right? So that's a triangular kind of system and that's a job, right? Yeah, so the question is, if you're in that position, right, uh, then you can talk about this culture and that culture and the idea of how different cultures are, not that they're superior, right? Yeah, this idea of a superior culture and all that is something that Swift is hinting at, right? But he's not saying that my, our culture is superior. He's actually saying uh, that these are the problems that we have. They think differently, we think differently, right? And actually he's talking about the English, right? It's actually talking about the English and what are their value systems and all those kind of things which we've already discussed, right? Yeah. Uh, what is his intended audience is... Is he writing only for political satire or to make money as well? No, I don't think he's writing for political satire, right? Yeah, and uh, that's what I think, right? Yeah, uh, the, the two parts to your question, a political satire and to make money, right? So it's using the mode or the, the language of satire to make people think about themselves. Yeah, that's what I think, right? And I might be wrong. Right? But that's my uh, personal response to Swift. Right? Yeah? So what do I do? Uh, as I said yesterday or maybe in the earlier lecture, we have comedy which you actually laugh at. Right? Yeah? And you actually laugh at the characters on stage and then you go back and you reflect and you find that, well, that's me. That's how I behave. Right? That's what happened when we put up uh, Karnad's play uh, boiled beans and toast, right? Yeah, <laughs> of course I don't want to give, get into the details because they're personal, right? Yeah, but uh, a person asks, why have these people wanted to put up this play, right? And why have all these people actually come in to join the play, right? And after the play, one point, uh, there's a reference to Kiran Mujumdar's show in the play, right? Yeah, and this lady says, well, and that's a satire on India, right? Because it says we like all these high kind of things, right? So this lady is probably very imaginative, or probably is really true. She's a brigadier's wife and all that kind of thing, uh, and her, her husband is a wife Peter, right? And she's always fiddling around with other people's life. Yeah, uh, it's Dolly. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, that's the the name of the person, right? And she's an English teacher, of course, right? So what's interesting is 
She said, yesterday I had lunch with Kiran Mujumdar Shaw and all that kind of thing, right? And one of the people here in this, okay, and you know I'm related, I've got all these things. And one person says, well, the play is actually saying that and Kiran Mujumdar Shaw is related to me, right? I said, oh God, that's what the play is talking about, right? So satire works, right? Yeah, satire works because we are all, uh, it's talking about culture, it's talking about drives of human beings and is talking about uh, the culture works with different values. No? So when one of the things that we have in our culture is who am I related to? Not perhaps in, in Baroda, right? But you go to the small town, you live in a village, yeah? your contacts are very important. Who, who is in power is very important, right? Now whether it's post-colonial or colonial uh, or pre-colonial, I don't know, right? Yeah, so you can think about that. But if you live in Delhi, who you know is very important, right? Yeah, if you live in Bombay, the, the richest person is important in Delhi. What is important is uh, which big shots do you know, right? I don't know what people get out of it, right? I don't get into all that, so I don't even know, right? But uh, as the idea of democracy is that we don't really need all those people, right? Yeah, we don't really need to have all these kinds of contacts with either very rich people or very powerful and influential people, right? We have to be ordinary citizens and the law should work for me as it works for the other person, right? Yeah, so that's a kind of equality that we should talk to, uh, for, right? Yeah, okay, uh, I hope Digveja have answered your question. I'll take the next one on and I hope I answer this. I think it is about the way he describes Gulliver in the beginning that involves interest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yes, uh, yeah, what exactly that, right? Yeah, so you want to ex uh, go on with that and say a little more? Or, yeah, the description, but then the description in the beginning of the chapter doesn't make the narrative thrilling and gripping because the reader is already being informed about the future events. Okay, uh, what does this tell about the readers of the period Swift is writing in, right? Yeah, I do not know whether your first part is okay, right? Because what is it saying? The description at the beginning uh, doesn't uh, make the narrative thrilling and gripping, right? Yeah, the this uh, the uh, no, I think I I think opposite, right? Because the first is giving you a sketch, so you might feel like reading it more, right? What happens when we come to the thing which is actually talking about a plot? Right? And why he has to leave Lilliput, right? Uh, what, what happens over there? Does he give you all the kind of ropes to understand what's going on, right? And that's a very, very political kind of thing. And some people might get thrilled and other people might find it boring, right? Yeah, so I'm not, uh, I'm not with you over there at all, right? And of course, we are talking about thrillers, right? And thrillers actually have these reverses of plots the sudden surprises and all those kind of things, right? And that's what keeps you on. And they have to keep what Aristotle talks about as peripatia, right? Yeah? And they have to keep changing the plot and changing the structure and that has to be uh, rapid. That's how you have what you call a thriller, right? So, uh, would this be thrilling in his day? Yes. Why would it be thrilling? Because you're talking about the whole idea of the miniature world, which is more something to do with art, right? Yeah, so the question is, how do you look at miniature art, right? Okay, 
uh, we are talking about something like the bonsai, right? Where we're talking about Japanese miniature gardens, right? Yeah. So we look at them and we say, well, here you have a mango tree which is so a little small and it's got real mangoes, right? Yeah. So you have all those kind of looking at it with wonder, right? And here you have.